changed me. Everybody in this room, we were dead in our sins, and we've been made alive in Christ. I believe that God can change a terrorist's heart. Do you? I believe it, and I believe, I'm, so gra- I'm so glad that he changed my heart. Um, I'm glad to be with people who believe that the gospel is powerful, and that as we just sang, um, that there's power in the name of Jesus, and his name really is the name above all names. And so that's who we wanna worship today in this service, through this sermon. Um, if you have your Bible today, you can take it, and you can open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter eight. 1 Corinthians chapter eight, that's where we're gonna be today, and um, let me just say this uh, as you're turning there. It's really good for me to be back with you guys. Um, you know, last Sunday, really for the past two Sundays, my family and I have been uh, away on vacation and down at the beach, and we had a great time together. And I heard that while we were gone, you know, we had the highest crowds we've ever had at church. And then I come back, and you know, everybody's you know staying home because they're sick and yada yada. So uh, I also heard that while I was gone, Phil fired me. Right? Did he announce that last week in the service or something? So apparently I got fired and then rehired before I came back. I don't know how that all works, but I'm glad to be with you guys today. Um, I'm really thankful for Scott Dixon and for Phil Wing. Um, it is a blessing to my heart to be able to leave the pulpit in hands of men who will preach and teach God's word faithfully. Um, it's a blessing to my family to be able to listen in on the live stream while we're away, and I uh, really appreciated Phil's message on forgiveness. It always hits home whenever we talk about forgiveness. Really appreciated Scott Dixon's message on um, deliver us from evil, right? Then literally preaching that while everything is kind of um, happening over in Afghanistan. So God's timing is all over that, but thankful for those guys, and I really just want you guys to hear it from me and on behalf of Rachel Thank you guys for being a church where we can go away for a couple weeks and have time together as a family. Um, It's not just permitted here, it's encouraged, and I'm so thankful for you all and for the church leadership. So all that being said, jumping into today's message, um, question for you. You know what one of the most powerful symbols is in our lives today? It's the dash. It's the dash. For some of you who are more precise, the hyphen, right? It's the dash. And here's why the dash is so powerful. Because sooner or later, every one of us in this room is going to have a dash on our gravestone or on our obituary. That small little symbol represents so much. It represents all the days that you've lived so far, all the days you're going to live. It represents, you know, all the decisions that we've made, the choices that have affected the trajectory of our life, the the things that we've avoided. It, It represents all the relationships that we have, the people we love, the people that are hard to love. It represents our families. It represents our time spent and memories made with the people that we care about the most. The dash is incredibly powerful Every moment between your first breath and your last breath represented by that dash. Most of us don't really like to think about that last breath. Most of us, it's not a comfortable thing to think about. But what I've shared with the previous two services, and I just want to reiterate here again, is this. Nobody really likes to think about their death day, but listen, we are not ready to live until we're ready to die. We, until we have settled what happens to us when this life is over, all we're going to do is live in fear and live for the wrong things. 
when we finally start to realize what happens when this life is over, this earthly life, then we can live for something that will really matter for eternity. The dash is so important, our first day and our last day. We don't have any control over our first day when we were born, and we don't have much control over the last day when we die. What we do have control over is the dash and what happens in this life that we've been given. The big question that I wanna ask you today is what are you gonna do with your dash? What are you gonna do with your dash? I want you to really think about it. I know it's like one of the big questions that gets talked about all the time, but I don't know if a lot of us take the time to really think it through. What's our life gonna be about? When, when this life is over, what will you have lived for? Why are you alive right now? What are you living for right now? Think about your dash. What's your life gonna be lived for? I remember the first time that I was personally really challenged with this. It was the year 2000. I was a recent graduate of college. I was attending Far Hills Baptist Church and me and about 40 or 50 other college students or uh, you know, young adults, we all took a road trip down to Memphis, Tennessee for a big event that was called One Day. And it was put on by the Passion Ministries, Louis Giglio, all those guys. And uh, it was one day, 24 hours of prayer and praise and worship and Bible teaching, just 24 hours, I was committed to hearing from God. And so I went to that event and uh, I heard a man speak who was relatively unknown at that point, uh, a man by the name of John Piper. And uh, he gave this message that was all about seashells. You may have heard the don't waste your life message. And really, that message greatly impacted my generation. You know, that, the people who were there, that, it was huge for us. Um, it was the first time that I remember being directly challenged about what does it mean to live on purpose? What does it mean to not waste your life? I want to share with you the first two and a half minutes of John Piper's message at that event um, because it made a huge impact on me and I want you to see it for yourselves. Let's check it out. You don't have to know a lot of things in order to make a huge difference for the Lord in the world. But you do need to know a few things that are great and be willing to live for them and die for them. People that make a difference in the world are not people who have mastered a lot of things. They are people who have been mastered by a very few things that are very, very great. If you want your life to count, you don't have to have a high IQ and you don't have to have a high EQ. You don't have to be smart, you don't have to have good looks, you don't have to be from a good family or from a good school. You just have to know a few basic, simple, glorious, majestic, obvious, unchanging, eternal things and be gripped by them and be willing to lay down your life for them, which is why anybody in this crowd can make a worldwide difference, because it isn't you. 
It's what you're gripped with. But one of the really sad things about this moment right now is that there are hundreds of you in this crowd who do not want your life to make a difference. All you want is to be liked. Maybe finish school, get a good job, find a husband or a wife, a nice house, a nice car, long weekends, good vacations, grow old healthy, have a fun retirement, die easy, no hell. And that's all you want. Mm. You don't give a rip whether your life counts on this earth for eternity. And that's a tragedy in the making. I think part of why I remember that is because that's the first time I ever heard a pastor say, don't give a rip from a stage. <laughs> But it caught my attention, honestly, because um, I hadn't really thought about my earthly life making a difference in eternity until I heard that message. I don't remember thinking about it anyway. Something there, something special happened to me there. God started to shake me up and kind of wake me up from this life I had been living. I mean, I, I trusted Christ as my Savior when I was nine, but in my college years, wandered away from the Lord, and I had just been living for myself, living for girls. I just graduated from college and was focused on money and, you know, you know, trying to just kind of live for the things of the world. And that's where my focus was at that time. And I was now a college graduate entering adulthood, and I had no idea what I was going to live for. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. But it was in that moment, listening to that message, processing it for some time afterwards, I started to know one thing, and I knew that I didn't want to waste my life. I knew I only had one life, and I didn't want to waste it. That same year, a few months later, one of my best friends from college died unexpectedly in a car accident. Um, we hung out all through school. Some of you guys are college students here, and you Imagine who you're sitting next to right now. He lived right not too far down the street from here, right near uh, Wright Pat Air, uh, Air Force Base. We used to party together. He was out drinking one night, um, did some drugs with his friends. They decided to go make a beer run. They lost control of the car. There was a big storm outside, and they had a terrible accident. And he ended up uh, being in a coma in the hospital for, I think, around two weeks until he died. And this was one of my closest friends. It was very, it was hard for me at that point. I went to his funeral with a bunch of my friends and a bunch of our folks that we ran around with in college. And I remember going up to his casket at the funeral and looking at my friend's body in the casket, but what I remember most visually is the hole in the ground underneath the casket. And I remember thinking, that's where his body's gonna be, but one day, my body's gonna be in a hole in the ground. 
And what will my life have mattered? What will I have lived for? That thought haunted me. It stuck with me for months after that. It was like, I remember in that moment, I, that was, God broke me down. I wasn't really a weepy, emotional guy at that point, but I just cried and cried. God was shaking me up. What are we going to do with our dash? What's our life going to be about? What are you living for? What are you guys living for right now, in this moment? What have you been living for for the past week? What are you going to live for when you leave this room today? What are you doing with your life? Are you wasting it? Are you using it on purpose? See, here's the thing. I think, I don't think any of us want to waste our life. I think all of us want to have meaning in this life. I think that all of us want to live a life that has some sort of value. We want to have purpose. In other words, uh, we want to know why we're here. We want to know why we're here and we want to live for that. Today we're starting a new sermon series and it's simply called Why We're Here. And we're gonna be in this sermon series for like 10 weeks in a row. This is gonna be a long sermon series. We're gonna take a deep dive into God's purpose for us individually, God's purpose for us as a church. We're gonna be working through this together and I think that Lord willing, we have a really great opportunity right now to start asking God to build a culture at UBC, a certain type of culture. Every organization has a culture. Every ministry has a culture. When people come in and they kind of get the sense of what's going on, what this group is about, it's just something that people pick up on in your culture and I think we have a great opportunity right now to build a new type of culture at UBC and I hope that one of the outstanding marks of our church moving forward is that we become a people who know why we're alive. I hope we become a people who know what we're living for. I hope we become a people who absolutely are convinced in our hearts, I have a purpose. God made me for a reason. I believe that that could be Huge to the people that you run around with on a daily basis, the coworkers, your friends, your roommates, people you interact with on campus, because around here and all across the world, people are living day by day, existing, not knowing why they're here. And for some people, it's gonna haunt them. Why am I alive? What is life about? People have moments where they think about this, and Christians should be the ones with the most ready voice to give a real answer. How much of an impact in the world could we make if that was part of our culture, both individually, collectively as a church. I was uh, praying about this introductory sermon and asking the Lord, like, there's so many passages to preach from and, you know, how do I put this succinctly in one message and, you know, what scripture do you want me to preach? And the Lord brought my attention to 1 Corinthians 8. Um, so 1 Corinthians 8 is, again, where we're gonna be today. And in this chapter, 1 Corinthians 8, the Apostle Paul is writing to these new believers who are in the city of Corinth. Guys, they, we read the Bible and sometimes we kind of put our American culture, kind of we insert it into the Bible. You know, we gotta remember, these people were new Christians from Corinth. They had lived lives never really hearing about Jesus in the gospel. Maybe some of them had some Jewish background, so they might have known about a coming Messiah, but many of them had been pagan idol worshipers, right? Like that's who they were. They heard the gospel. God moved their hearts. They got saved. They were changed. 
And many of them were coming out of backgrounds that were just full of sin and idolatry. And so now they were leaving that old life behind and they were in the midst of big discussions about that. Like things like, hey, uh, should we go in or around those old temples where we used to go? What about the meat that was offered to idols in those old uh, temple places where we used to worship? Should we eat that meat or not? And they're having this back and forth dialogue with the Apostle Paul I don't know if you call it a dialogue when it's written, but they were writing things back and forth. And so Paul is writing to them, explaining um, how they should walk through this. And then in the middle of his explanation, he has this one sentence paragraph, one sentence paragraph, I'm doing terrible. We have a one sentence teaching from the Apostle Paul that directly answers the question that we're talking about today, why we're here. I want us to look at this together. Look with me um, if you will, at 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6. The Apostle Paul writes this, this line where he says, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all thi- are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Guys, there's one point I want you to leave here taking home today. We're talking about why we're here, right? And I want you to get this basic, important, simple, foundational, but ultimately important point, and that's this. God is the reason we're here. God is why we're here. When people ask you about what's the purpose in life, when you're thinking for yourself about why am I here, your default mindset should go, you know what, I'm here for God. God is the reason why I'm here. It's not family, mainly. It's not husband or wife, mainly. It's not children, mainly. It's not career, mainly. It's not studies, mainly. All those things are, are blessings and benefits and things that are good to pursue, but the bottom line, the foundational reason why you and I are here is because of God. God centered lives, lives built on the foundation of God. That's what the scripture is teaching us. This is just so straightforward. God is why we're here. Isn't that what Paul says? For whom we exist. Talking about God. That's the straightforward main idea. I'm gonna share three other thoughts coming out of this passage. They're all gonna directly tie into why we're here. And we're gonna focus our hearts on Jesus. And at the end of this service today, we're gonna take the Lord's Supper together. We're gonna take communion. And I hope that you can come to the table today with your Heart set on the Lord. Three thoughts I want to share talking about why we're here and God being the foundation and the center of why we're here. First of all, it's this. We're here as God's creation. We're here as God's creation. Look what Paul says in verse six. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things. Right, so Paul has taken us to the origin of where things came from. God is the one from whom all things came to be. He's saying that God is the creator. And the scriptures teach us that over and over and over again. It starts in Genesis chapter one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Chapter two, uh, he created male and female in his image. You keep reading through the Old Testament scriptures and the Psalms and how many times do we read about how God made the heavens and they're his handiwork and we get to the prophets that talk about God creating all things and making people for his glory. You go into the book of Acts and the epistles, they talk about God as creator all through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation until you come to the book of Revelation chapter four, verse 11, where the writer says, worthy are you 
our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will they existed and were created. Guys, we're, we're here as God's creation. In other words, everything that's been made has a maker. I know that's so simple and basic and foundational, but you know, everything that's been made has a maker. None of us would look at something like a cell phone or a computer or a satellite and say, oh, it's just so amazing that it just somehow came to be, right? It just, none of us would look at like a, a house or a skyscraper or a big city and just say, you know what? It just kind of formed itself and put itself together. It just, it just came to be on its own. Guys, those are complex things. We don't even look at simple things and think that way. We don't look at, you know, children's puzzles. We don't look at Legos. We don't look at little stick figures that are drawn and just say, wow, it just, it just did it on its own. All of us know this. You know, if we can look at simple things like that, why can't, why can't we look at things like people and planets and the universe and say, my goodness, there has to be a maker. It's not just going to put itself together. It just doesn't happen you know, that way. The, the problem is, is that many people in our culture, you guys all know this, they just advocate that there's, there's no maker. The world that we live in just somehow developed over time. There was a, 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 a cosmic explosion and poof, everything somehow came to be. No creator, no designer, no one making it happen. And I just want to say, like, obviously I can't control what you believe. You can believe whatever you want to believe. But when I look around the world and I see what God has made, it shows me intentionality. It shows me purpose. It shows me design. It shows me that something that's been made with a reason. Guys, wherever things are made, there's a maker. When we look at the stars, the stars have a maker, and the maker made stars with a purpose. Planets have a maker, and the maker made planets with a purpose. Clouds have a maker, and the maker made them with a purpose. Raindrops have a maker, and the maker made them with a purpose. Plants have a maker, and the maker made them with a purpose. Animals have a maker. The maker made them with a purpose. People like you and me have a maker, and the maker made us with a purpose, which means that every single one of you sitting in this room right now, you have a maker who made you with a purpose. You have a reason for being here. You're not here on accident or by some random circumstance. God has a purpose for you. That's the second observation I just want to bring out of our text today. We're not just here as God's creation, but we're here for God's purposes. Look at it again. 1 Corinthians 8, 6. It says, Yet there, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. Right? It could not be more straightforward. We exist for God. We exist for him. We're here to fulfill his plans. People all across the world, you may ever wonder, why am I here? The scripture answers that question. We are here. We exist for him. The problem is that you and I, we go through life, or maybe not necessarily us so much as just the general culture, but we, we get so humanistic in our thinking. We, our dreams are all about us. 
Our ambitions are all about us. Our desires are all about us. Our goals are all about us. Our comforts are all about us. Let's get the spouse we want, the house we want. Let's get the image that we want, the stuff that we want. And it's all about us. And what ends up happening is we look at our life kind of like a pie or a circle, and right in the middle of it is me. And yeah, if I'm spiritual, I've got little slices of my life that I give to different things. And if I'm spiritual, I give an hour on Sunday. Or if I'm really spiritual, maybe a few minutes a day for prayer. And I give that little religion slice to God. But it's my life. And I'm in the center. That's the way most people look at the world, right? Themselves in the center. When you become a Christian, the center changes. Instead of the center being me, it's God. And God comes into your life, and God's in the center, and every little slice of your life and every part of your life, now God starts to permeate and make his way into everything, and you start to live not for yourself but for him. And that's part of what it means to be a Christian. Listen, who's in the center of your life? Who's directing the center? I don't even know. I don't have enough passion in my body today. I'm third service and I'm tired, but I'm asking you guys to think about it because Who knows, you're gonna die, I'm gonna die. One day this life is gonna be over and we're gonna stand before our maker. And you gotta know him. You gotta know him. When we live a humanistic life with ourselves at the center and we're faced with the question of why we're here, You know, if you're a humanistic kind of worldview in life, you're just gonna think about, I just need to search deep within myself to find my purpose. I don't know about anybody else in this room, but I've done some soul searching of my own and looked within myself, and I can't even see it all and know it the way God does, but what I've been able to observe is some pretty bad stuff. I'm a sinner. I am a sinner, and I need a savior. And you're a sinner. And you need a savior. And I'm telling you today, the Lord Jesus is a great savior. And if you entrust yourself to him, and you let go of putting yourself in the center of your own life, and you give your life to him, he will save you, change you. He will will put your life on mission, and you'll live with a purpose, a real purpose. The Apostle Paul says it this way in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Paul says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are God's workmanship. If you look at the original language there, that word workmanship could be translated as masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. We're made just the way he wanted us to be, perfect for the good works that he's prepared us to do. Guys, you get that? You've been created as a masterpiece for good works, right? God didn't make you just to sit around and be bored. God didn't make you to kind of just exist through life and do nothing. God didn't make you just to kind of get by, right? God didn't make you to waste your life away on things that are meaningless. God made you on purpose with good works for you to do, right? That's what God, and and the scripture says that God laid them out for you beforehand. What does that mean that God laid them out beforehand? Here's what it means. It means that God had a plan for you before there was a you. Before you existed, God made a plan for your life. Look at Psalm 139, verse 16. 
The scripture says, talking about God, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. All of your days, all of my days, all of our days, wonderful days, COVID days, Afghanistan days, days of your salvation, days of your children's childbirth, whatever the best days of your life are gonna be and whatever the worst days of your life are gonna be, all of them written out by God before they ever existed. You know what this means? Everybody in this room, you need to hear me on this. I don't know who needs to hear this today, but maybe somebody does. You are not an accident. You are not a cosmic accident. Your life is not meaningless. The world doesn't get to look at you and and define your value and your worth. God has made you on purpose with a purpose. You have value in his eyes. You have a purpose for being alive. I take great comfort and encouragement from Ephesians 2.10 and Psalm 139, knowing that God has prepared works for me to do with my life. It's a comfort to know why we're here, that there's a purpose. One of the uh, wise and most well-esteemed theologians of our day, Steve Harvey. (laughs) Yeah, that guy. (laughs) The family feud guy who botched the uh, Miss America winner, yeah. Um, a, co- a while back he tweeted something that blew up all over social media. He tweeted this line that said this, the two best days of your life are the day that you were born and the day that you figure out why. I like that Steve Harvey said that. You know, I don't know where he stands with his, with his faith or anything like that, but you know what? When the Lord reveals to you your ultimate purpose in life, that you don't have to live for yourself and for everybody else's approval, you live for him, and you understand the foundational reason why you're alive, it gives you your purpose for living. And that's a great day to have. And I, just, I just wanna share with you one other thought before we take the Lord's Supper, but... We're here as God's creation. We're here for God's purposes. And number three, we're here through God's son. We're here through God's son. The scripture says, Paul writes again, 1 Corinthians 8, that God is the one for whom we exist. And then he goes on to say, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. I think that's interesting because Paul one, sentence, one little kind of line up says, you know, all things are from the Father, but now he's saying that all things are through the Son. What does that mean? All things from the Father, all things through the Son. What does that mean? There's a lot that could be said here about what this means, and it kind of just deserves more time that I can give it, but the one thing I want you to understand is this. It means that the Father is the source and the Son is the agent. It's like the Father is the one who is the master architect, the designer. He makes things, the, he, he has this way that things should be and then the son comes and enacts and, and builds and sustains and holds things together. It's why John the apostle would write in his gospel, all things came into being through him, Jesus, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. It's why Paul would write in Colossians 1.16, 
For by him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Guys, there's so much more that could be said about all this, but the thing that I want you to understand today is that, that, that God the Father is the designer of life. Jesus is the means of life. Right? God created your life to have a purpose, but it's only through Jesus that you can fulfill and reach your purpose. Right? Simply stated, if you want God's life for your life, then you've got to have Jesus. You've got to have Jesus. What did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. The life, it comes through Jesus. No man comes to the Father but through me, Jesus said. So to summarize, we're talking about why we're here, right? We're talking about our purpose. God is why we're here. We're here for God. We're here as God's creation. We're here for God's purposes. And we're here through God's Son. Guys, our lives are to, they're, they're to be all about God. I don't know how to say it any more simply. Your life and my life is to be all about God. Our lives are to be all about Jesus Christ. You and I were made to have God-centered lives. If, uh, maybe a simpler way to say it is, you know what, you and I, we were made to worship God. This really, why we're here, I mean, we we're made to worship God, to have God-centered lives. We need to teach our children that. We need to raise our children to know why they're here. You're here for God. And he's designed you on purpose with a purpose. The aging community in our church, people who, who are in the last quarter of life, they need to remember why. Why does God still have them on the earth? They're here for God, for God's purposes. All of us in between, we are made to worship God. Worship is to be at the heart of all that we do. I mentioned at the beginning of this message that maybe through this sermon series, the Lord would start to build a new type of culture at UBC or, or maybe emphasize some things, reemphasize some things at UBC. My prayer is that UBC would be a church that is all about worship. And yes, I hope we sing our hearts out I hope that people are expressive in the manners that the Lord leads them to express when we're gathered for worship. But you know what? I also want you to leave here and have God be the main thing you live for. I want to leave here after I'm done preaching and practice what I preach and live for God. I want us to be little torches that go out into the world and take the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ where we go and then when we come back together, we bring our little lights and it's a big inferno here, right? That's what I want to see. What are you living for? What are we living for? You're gonna leave this building today and you're gonna go to work tomorrow and you're gonna go through your day. What's it all about for you? Making money, taking care of the fam, setting up that good retirement. Hopefully you can get in a little golf or a vacation. What's life all about? Life's about God. God is to be in the center. That's why we're here. So, we want to be able to say this, right? Like, we want to be able to communicate this in ways that remind us of the truth, remind us of our purpose, in ways that we can communicate to the world. How do we want to communicate this God-centered, worship-driven life that God made us to pursue? I'd like to say it this way. To know God and to make him known. That's why we're here to know God and to make him known. That's why we're here. This isn't a new slogan. Other Christian organizations use it. Other churches use it. Other ministries use it. 
I just don't know any better way to say it. What's your life all about? To know God and to make him known. That's why we're here. Jesus, in his high priestly prayer, John 17, Jesus prayed for his disciples. And Jesus prayed to the Father for his followers. And he said, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Right, that's what Jesus is saying. This is eternal life that they, his disciples, would know God. Guys, you and I, we, we are created to be eternal beings, right? This is eternal life. We get this little earth suit that we live here on this planet for 70 or 80 years, and if you're, you know, really get a good one, then you maybe live for, you know, up to 100, whatever, but you know, Sooner or later, this life is over. We're made to live forever. And when this life is over, it's either eternal life or eternal death. What is eternal life? It's knowing God. It's knowing God. And knowing Jesus Christ whom God has sent. We want to be a people that know God. We want to be a people who make him known. Jesus also gave his disciples a mission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. What did he tell his disciples? Go therefore into all the world, making disciples of all nations. That was their mission. That's their purpose. In other words, those who knew God were to make God known. Those who knew Christ were to make Christ known. That's what our life is all about. Is that what you're living for? To know God, to make him known? I believe that's why God has us here. Individually, on this planet, collectively, as a church, to know God and to make him known. So every, I think pretty much every Christian, everybody who's grown up in church, you understand if you know God, your mission is to make disciples. I get it. We all know that. We're familiar with that language. We don't have to make up a new mission. God already gave us a mission. But here's the thing. We have got to be intentional about how we carry that out. A lot of churches know that their mission is to make disciples, but how are you going to make disciples? What sort of indicators of discipleship are you looking for? What sort of characteristics of a disciple are we looking for? It was a burden to me to say, you know what, as a pastor and a shepherd here, I need to be able to stand before the Lord when my dash is done and I stand before the Lord and say, Lord, I, I wanted to shepherd this congregation for your glory. I wanted to make disciples. So we tried, you know, like we actually tried to have real tangible ways. And so I've been praying about this for like two years now and our staff and our elders have come together and to think about this and to pray over this. And what we've laid out are nine characteristics of a disciple that we wanna pursue in this church. And let me be very clear, like nine is not the exhaustive biblical list, all right? This is just nine that we believe make a nice, pursuable summary of the characteristics of a disciple that we want to pursue. The first characteristic is the one we talked about today. It's worship. We wanna be a church that has worship in the center. We wanna make disciples that have worship in the center. Everything that we do needs to have worship in the center because here's the truth. You can be pray, a prayerful disciple, a biblical disciple, a missional disciple, a merciful disciple. You can be all these other types of disciples, but if worship is not in the center, you're just a moralistic humanist right? You just, there's no God in the center. You're just a nice person, or you're just a religious person, right? So we've got to have God in the center. Worship has got to be in the center. And over the course of the next several weeks, we're going to roll out the rest of these characteristics of a disciple. 
I want to ask you to join me in praying that we God, if this is what the Lord wants for our church, that our hearts would be united together pursuing these characteristics of discipleship so that we can all go to our grave one day knowing, you know what, Lord, my goal in my life was to know you and to make you known. I wanted to live my life to make wholehearted disciples of Jesus Christ. Here are some tangible indicators that I shot for in my own life and I tried to help others become and I believe that if we pursue these together, we will be a church that knows him and makes him known and will come to the end of our life and our dash will have mattered. Life is short, you guys. So short. Some of you have lost loved ones over this past year, some of them younger, some of them older. Last year we had to go to a funeral for a two-year-old and my family. Had to officiate the wedding for, or the funeral for the founding member of our church this year died in his 80s. Life is short, you guys. Our dash is short. The scripture says in James 4, 14, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. What will you do with your life? What will you do with your dash? If you're struggling with your purpose, remember that your purpose starts with God. God's got to be at the center. He wants to be at the center. He has given Jesus Christ so that you can know him through Jesus. And he will make himself known to you. God's got to be at the center of your life. Is he there? You know your heart. You know what's going on in your own mind and your own heart. Is God in the center? You were made for worship. God is your purpose. To know him and make him known. We're gonna close today by taking the Lord's Supper. And today, as we take the elements of the Lord's Supper, we're gonna remember today that we're gonna remember Jesus. And we're gonna remember that when we take the bread and the juice, this is a representation, the bread is a representation of Christ's body, and the juice is a representation of Christ's blood. We're gonna remember Jesus together. I wanna read to you from 1 Corinthians Chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. The Apostle Paul writes and he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So what are we doing today when we come and we take the bread and the cup? We're remembering Jesus together. We're remembering him. Jesus, Paul says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We come and Take the Lord's Supper, we look backward at what Jesus did at the cross. We look inward in our own hearts to see, where am I at with you, Lord? We look forward to the day when Christ returns and we're gonna see him with, as he is and we're gonna feast with him at the wedding supper of the Lamb. So today when we take the Lord's Supper, we remember Jesus. 
I do want to be very clear that only those of us who are saved should come to the table. Only those who have repented of your sin and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, only you should come to the table. Which means if you're not saved, here's my main, my main hope for you is that today you would repent of your sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved and come take the Lord's Supper for the first time in a meaningful way. That's what I would love to see happen. But if you refuse and you know you're not saved and your conscience just says, nope, you're not, you're not yet born again, you need to refrain from coming to the table. Believers, you should come sober-mindedly, remembering that Jesus died to pay for your sins, so you don't want to just flippantly take the bread and the juice. You remember that this was Christ's body broken and his blood shed for your sin. But you know what else? You, don't, you come sober-mindedly, but you also come to the table thankfully, gratefully, with an overflowing heart that because of Jesus, your sin has been separated as far as the east is from the west infinite separation your sins cast into the sea God remembers them no more so you come to the table sober mindedly but gratefully and parents in the room if you have children if your children have made a profession of faith in Christ and you're confident that they should come to the table you bring them at your discretion but if they don't yet know the Lord Hold them back from coming to the Lord's table, but take the opportunity to talk to them about Christ. I'm gonna pray, and after I pray, we're gonna have some quick closing instructions on how this will work. And so if you join me in prayer, let's get our hearts right and ready before we take the elements. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you give us the truth that we need so that we might know you and make you known. Um, Lord, thank you that you specifically have told us why we are here, Lord, that we exist for you. Lord, we are so prone to living for ourselves. We are so prone to looking at our circumstances and making life all about us. Lord, teach us, grow us, grow me, Lord, to have a focus on you, not myself, my own ambition, Lord, but for your desires. I ask, Father, that as we come to the table now that you would make our hearts thankful for Jesus, that you would make our hearts hate our sin more and more, that we would put it to death in our lives and that we would be so thankful for the life that is found in Christ. I pray for anybody who's in this room today and they know in their hearts right now that they're not really saved. They might come to church sometimes or be able to talk religiously but they know deep in their heart that they don't know you and you don't know them I pray Lord that right now in this moment you would convict their hearts that they would repent of their sin and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation Lord I thank you that this is my church family and that we get to come to the table together as your people Lord let us be a church that keeps you at the center, that we would live to worship you, to know you, to make you known, all for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.